Okay, everybody, welcome, welcome to show 42 on Crypto Voices. Matthew Majinskis, your host here from Latvia. And today I'm joined with a special guest, one country south of me from Lithuania, Danielos Stasoulis. Danielos is a co-founder of BitDegree, an online education platform based on the Ethereum network. He is also a partner of Civita, a leading management consulting company in Eastern Europe. Danielos, thanks a lot for joining us and welcome to Crypto Voices. Hello, Matthew. Very glad to be on the show. And I'm a big fan, actually, when I was investigating the entire space, I was primarily listening to your podcast. So, you know, you're like a teacher to me. <laughs> well, coming from uh, someone in uh, education on the blockchain, really appreciate uh, that, certainly. I think there'll be a lot of interesting things uh, for our listeners to learn here, obviously, about, uh, you know, our listeners do know that I'm based here in Eastern Europe. Uh, there's a lot of things going on, certainly, where U.S.-based listeners might not understand a lot of the regulatory environment or just how the business environment is going over here. So uh, really looking forward to exploring that with you uh, today. So yeah, thanks a lot for the comments. So I guess just to begin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into crypto? Yeah, so for the last eight years, I was working as a management consultant. And for the last five of them, I was leading a startup division of a leading management consulting company in the region. So I was mostly designing uh, startup accelerators, startup support programs, some international startup scaling initiatives. And um, a year ago, or a bit more, the crypto world came rushing to me because you know all of the people with whom I worked on a regular startup basis uh, now started doing various crypto projects. Uh, so I, I could not, uh, not notice uh, the, the crypto boom. Of course, it was probably a bit later than for everyone else, but I think that was an indicator of mainstream startup founders going into crypto. So, um, yeah, I, I actually had some time, so I dove deep into crypto world and I was fascinated by it because it uh, merges all the key aspects of technology, of uh, legal uh, side, of uh, economics and game theory. So. This is a pretty challenging uh, landscape, and it was intellectually um, very interesting for me. And when was it that you started to uh, you know, see some of these startups and founders and people get excited about crypto? When did you first start to see that in, in the Baltics? Actually, one of my um, ex-colleagues um, have launched a, uh, one of the leading Lithuanian um, Bitcoin exchanges, uh, SpectroCoin. So I, I remember talking with him in the very early days and about the market adoption, and about the business models. And, you know, definitely now he is uh, pretty well off and he has launched also an ICO, Bankera, that has raised $170 million. Uh, but that was maybe three, four years ago. And then my wife uh, has worked actually for that uh, exchange. So... I, I had very close contact to crypto world, but you know I just didn't pay attention. <laughs> I think, and that was my mistake. So when, once my wife has left that crypto exchange, I had no interest whatsoever until um, the beginning of last year, when some of the first uh, people in Lithuania have managed to do uh, ICOs. We're definitely going to explore that. I think there's a lot of interesting little nuggets about what's happening in Lithuania, both from a regulatory side and ICOs, as I've already mentioned. But um, I guess before we get there, let's start there. Then, uh, beginning of last year, how did you decide to, uh, you know, formulate the idea of BitDegree, and uh, what was the genesis of that project? I have some very cool co-founders uh, with me that actually have a well-established web hosting uh, service provider. And this web hosting service provider has like 29 million users. But a large part of, of those users come to their free web hosting uh, service provider called 000webhost.com. This is one of the world's leading free of charge uh, web hosting service providers. And actually most of the people go there to uh, do their first project and actually to learn how to make a website. So they had all those users and they were investigating, you know, what to do with them, you know, how to incentivize those, those users to become smarter, to become pay, paying clients. 
and actually it paid off uh, to teach them. Uh, you know, it actually made more sense to educate users to be uh, to become paying users uh, rather than to spend money on the ads. And at the same time, um, you know, I was investigating the blockchain space, and uh, those guys from uh, Hostinger and Zero Zero Webhost uh, were investigating, you know, how to. Uh, form a new project and for me education was something special because my grandparents were in education and actually some eight years ago I also tried to launch an education project so naturally the interests have matched and then we thought you know what can what can we do you know what what should be the next level uh, education platform because they already have the users the question is how to educate them and then out of a sudden the ICOs came out and then we uh, knew how to finance uh, this new venture. So this is, this is a lucky story. And uh, some, sometime in September we started actively working on ICO and by the end of December we actually have finished our ICO successfully reaching hard cap of 32,000 Ether. I think the next question will focus on that because um, so Fernando, my co-host, he's not with us uh, today, couldn't make it. But as you no doubt know, and our listeners, I'm sure, are aware, you know, Fernando's the Bitcoin maximalist on our show. Uh, I am, I'm definitely open to other networks uh, contributing to this digital asset space. Though I think both Fernando and I were were definitely like Bitcoin, not blockchain enthusiasts as, uh, as opposed to a lot of the hype that surrounds uh, ICOs and uh, Ethereum and EOS and whatnot. So it's just a general view that we have on our show, as you no doubt know, there's certainly a lot of risk, uh, there's a lot of scams, there's a lot of problems uh, with some of these ICOs. So even though Fernando's not here, I can definitely uh, start with a, uh, with a question in that vein. Uh, so we've on our show, we've only had one ICO project, it was actually um, they're called Imbrex now. It was originally called Rex MLS. It's a real estate project. Mostly because Fernando and I both had a real estate background. And I think that title and real estate and brokerage and mortgage is an obvious use case. There are many other real estate projects uh, that are starting in the blockchain world. So with that long sort of uh, preface to my question, with your idea, with your project, why did you decide to do it on Ethereum? And why did you decide to do an ICO? Yeah, I know that I'm in in the tough spot right now, you know, and probably your listeners are also Bitcoin maximalists. I, I would like to say that I'm a Bitcoin maximalist as well. I, I truly believe in Bitcoin and I think this is like superior uh, technology because it aligns all the game theory principles. But if you lose some of that security, and the question is to, to what extent, then you can enable new use cases. And uh, to me, ICOs as a way of engaging community and actually actually fundraising for venture development looks looks a superior use case compared to venture capital financing and to IPOs. So I think that um, Ethereum has uh, hit its nail on the head by you know releasing ICOs and actually enabling ICOs. And why, why I'm saying that, you have to understand the, the region uh, here in Eastern Europe. And basically, we had no venture capital for decades, actually. You know, the venture capital uh, markets are not developed. Angel investors uh, don't really know how to invest into tech, and they want to claim 50% or more of equity, and at the same time ask you to guarantee with your personal wealth uh, for, for the investment. And IPO markets, you know, what IPO markets? Essentially, you know, for many, many years, entrepreneurs here didn't have access to capital to launch their own ventures. And now uh, ICOs came into play. And I, in my opinion, I, ICOs, ICO model is the most democratic way of raising capital for, for new ventures. So all the legal aspects aside, I think that it's, it is really revolutionizing the way ventures are financed because it is uh, democratic. You know, you can have, you know, contributors from any country in the world, and it does not discriminate uh, on you based based on your geography. It also enables secondary market 
because you know why why so many uh, small investors cannot participate in startup financing is because we cannot imagine time horizons of seven to ten years to you know liquidate the position. So uh, through token models, you know it's it's much faster, much easier. So I think that's why we are seeing um, ICO revolution here in 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 the Baltics and Eastern Europe. And this is actually is not only ICO revolution, but blockchain and Bitcoin revolution that is happening. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's uh, that's a good point. And I wanted to, certainly we're going to spend the bulk of our show digging into BitDegree and what you actually want to do in terms of education uh, on the blockchain and what that means for your users and whatnot. But before we do, I think we should take a little detour since uh, you know, you're in Lithuania, I'm in Latvia, we're in the Baltics here, uh, Eastern Europe, literally we're inside the former walls of the Soviet Union. So for our Western uh, listeners, that probably seems like a faraway place and a very different place uh, to do business. And I think you can put some of it in perspective for us here. So I was actually looking in prep for this show, I, I was looking at um, a list of ICOs done you know, in the last couple of years. And this really is an incredible number, regardless of how you feel about ICOs. I saw that in 2017, if you looked at the total ICOs uh, that were launched, just by number, not by you know, Euro or Ether volume raised, but by number, Lithuania is in sixth place in the world. And that comes after the US, the UK, Russia, Switzerland, and Singapore. And of all those countries, Switzerland and Singapore are close, but still you know, double uh, more than the population of Lithuania. And Singapore is just edging you. Basically, Lithuania, close to 5% of the total number of ICOs in the world in 2017. To me, that's an astounding figure. Uh, if you standardize that for population, it's the most in the world per capita. I think it's a little bit less if you go by euro or ether value. But you know, I'm looking at this list of top 25. I don't see Latvia. I don't see Estonia. Why do you think that is? I'm, I'm very curious to hear that from you. Just from Lithuania uh, in particular, why was there such an interest to do ICOs on Ethereum? And do you know, sort of the last couple of years, how much ICO value has been raised in total in Lithuania? I think I can guesstimate. Um, I think that in 2017, Lithuanian ICOs have raised over a half a billion uh, dollars. And up until now, I think that that figure is growing closer to one billion. In terms of the amount of projects, I think for I think there are between fifty and one hundred ICO projects in Lithuania, and you know the country with probably two and a half million people. That's that's pretty good ratio. But more importantly, I've been working with Lithuanian startups for the last ten years, and this number of um, ICOs is far greater than the uh, number of ordinary startups created. And in terms of the capital raised, uh, in 2017, Lithuanian ICOs have raised more, three times more money than all the Lithuanian startups throughout the history of uh, Lithuania since independence. <laughs> so <laughs> That's incredible. That's, that's, that's why I'm calling it a revolution. And if you isolate this case to Lithuania only, uh, you know, every country wants to have its own unicorn. You know, Estonia has Skype, Latvia has, uh, I don't know, you, you, you tell me, Bitfury? No? Yeah, Bitfury, uh, there's a lot of people from Bitfury that are there. But outside of the crypto space, uh, some peer-to-peer -peer lending. Well, I think Ask.fm and a few others are in Latvia. And in Lithuania, we didn't have this unicorn. But if you look collectively at ICOs, um, you know, it will have an impact of unicorn. So in Estonia, after, after Skype, there were 50 to 100 new companies created by the ex-employees of, uh, of Skype that were uh, well off after, after the Skype was sold. And in, in Lithuania, you know, we have ICOs that are actually making an impact at the country scale on, on, on Lithuania. So a lot of uh, you know dormant entrepreneurs were awakened by this opportunity, real democratic opportunity to obtain capital for their projects. So I see people quitting their bank jobs. I see people quitting some other corporate jobs or government jobs, and actually putting all, uh, maybe not all of their money, but their savings in order to uh, obtain capital through through ICOs. 
So I think that this is really significant, and uh, that's that's why I'm excited. These are not kids, you know. These are uh, seasoned professionals that did not have a chance before because there were no developed capital markets to uh, obtain financing from. And it, what what is more, you know, it it provides funding equivalent to Series B or Series C, uh, you know, going through the ordinary route. So. You do not have to, you know, live six months to six months uh, trying to raise uh, another round of financing. That's a really important point. You know, I we're talking about the Baltics here again. Just remind our listeners that's like less than you know six million people uh, now. Which even when I came to live here full time like twelve years ago, that number was above seven. So there's been a lot of brain drain going to Western Europe looking for jobs and whatnot. But just in general, I think that point you can probably extrapolate that across most of Eastern Europe, whether you're in the European Union or outside of the European Union with more Russian influence, most of Eastern Europe is in this situation. And I absolutely, in principle, see only benefit from trying to expand the ease of of capital to people that want to be entrepreneurs and want to change the way business is done. So I'm totally in support of that. I still, though, you know, obviously there's massive risk when you talk about a lot of these these uh, platforms. You know, whether the idea is really can hold water or not, that's where I, not on principle, but more on a practicality level. What do you feel about that point? Do you think that it's uh, it's a valid point, or do you think that it's just much more important to focus on the the fact that capital is getting here and it's great, and that's the big story? I'm definitely concerned uh, about many projects. You know, uh, not not only I think that you know their business models that the advertised business models are under doubt, and you know I'm I'm not talking about scams. There there are scams, but I don't think that there are so many of them. Maybe in other parts of the world, especially Asia, there are more of them. But uh, here, I, I think that many many founders uh, are uh, obtaining capital with this weak idea, but I would focus rather on the team, whether the team can figure it out as they go, because the amount of capital they are obtaining is, is sufficient for five years probably. You know, and in five years, you know, many things can change. You know, so I would rather look you know, at the impact that the team can have or, or the founders can have in the space and then uh, hope that, that they will figure it out. Because looking at, at uh, normal startups, you know, they don't know what they're doing most of the time. They're just shooting one direction. If it doesn't work, they shoot another one. And if it works, then they get more financing and then they go. Now, you know, the, these founders, ICO founders, you know, have quite a few shots to make and they have a budget for it. So. Uh, as long as their values are in place and, and they're sane, I hope that the success rate will be a bit better than of ordinary startups because ordinary startups would be you know, cut uh, much sooner rather than later. We'll get to other topics, but again, I would just say in principle, totally agree with you. And I think everybody uh, deserves the right to go after that opportunity if it's there. And it's very interesting to me that uh, if you look at, as you mentioned, if we're getting it billion dollars or billion euros in the past couple of years. And in 2017, Lithuania was literally, without adjusting for anything, number six in sheer volume of ICOs. If you standardize that for the population, it's absolutely the number one country in the world in the last couple of years that has been, uh, been pursuing ICO projects. So I find that very interesting, very fascinating, and I hope that you know, you can have a lot of success from that. So next topic then on ICOs and the digital asset world in Lithuania, sort of top level for bit degree as well. What, what is your relationship with the regulators here, the central bank, financial ministry, and how are they generally looking at ICOs and how are they looking at bit degree? When we started this process of ICO, we were evaluated. Should, should, evaluating, should we go after venture capital somewhere you know, in other countries or, or should we do ICO? And then we decided to actually proactively seek help from the regulators. So we went to the Bank of Lithuania and we actually got our token model officially approved by, by the Bank of Lithuania. You know, they thought, yes, guys, you know, your token model looks like a utility and you can proceed. So instead of being, you know, doing just whatever, we have proactively uh, seeked for guidance and assistance. 
And although in, in the very beginning, regulator uh, was a bit skeptical about all those ICOs, of course, because of the obvious reasons. But later on, and especially now, it, uh, the regulator became like very acceptive and uh, supporting to all the ICOs. Because now uh, the regulator sees the real impact that uh, ICOs are making on the country and they're willing to support it rather than to kill it. Because maybe that's, that's the last possibility for Lithuania ever to become a center of something. You know, but uh, with that amount of ICOs, now, now we can become an ICO center. So, of, of course, regulation was tough in the beginning, especially dealing with, you know, tax authorities, dealing uh, with the Bank of Lithuania, with Ministry of Finance, and with ordinary banks. In the beginning, it was tough, but then we felt, felt their support. And now I would say that Ministry of Finance is very supportive and they are willing to see new, let's say, different types of tokens released, also security tokens. And um, as far as I know, there is a possibility to, to release security tokens, uh, you know, of course, with some restrictions. And uh, some of the ICOs are actually working on that. Then uh, Ministry of Economy is super happy, you know, because now uh, so many jobs are being generated and, uh, you know, we are seeing the shortage of tech talent already. Bank of Lithuania is a big promoter of ICOs and blockchain and Bitcoin. So they are trying to find really mild ways to regulate and actually ways to sandbox uh, many things. And they are launching a regulatory sandbox for ICO projects. And uh, tax, tax inspectorate at the top level, you know, there's a green light. Uh, they are looking how to, uh, of course, get, get the taxes. And th this is normal. So as long as, uh, you know, those ICOs and other projects are not against paying taxes, it's, it's, it's fine. You can, you can do it. So actually, Bidegree was the first uh, ICO registered in Lithuania and domiciled in Lithuania. So we have our headquarters in Lithuania in Kaunas. So instead of going to some Gibraltar or Switzerland or elsewhere, we decided that we know our um, home market pretty well. We know, we know the regulators. Let's see if we can do it fair and square here in, in, in Lithuania so that uh, not only everyone accepts us, but, you know, even likes us. So we played uh, by the book, you know, we did everything that the regulators have asked. And now we are just uh, building the education platform and trying to educate the world about digital skills and blockchain skills. And I think all that is interesting in the perspective of general blockchain regulation. But are you the first and still the only registered ICO token in Lithuania or have there been others? The lawyers are working on quite a few ICOs to be incorporated in Lithuania, but um, to my surprise, there, there aren't too many of them registered in Lithuania. So quite, quite a few people, rather than to risk it uh, doing here, they decided to go to Switzerland, but you know, the fees in Switzerland are exorbitant. You know, probably, <laughs> you know, our team could work for a few months on, only just for the fees that are spent uh, on Swiss lawyers and yeah, all the compliance there. And then just to sort of follow up to that question, Bitdegree, when you got this approval or wh whatever the, the correct term is, you know, officially recognized by the Bank of Lithuania, what specific things did they mention or were they looking for or what did you point out to them that puts you in good favors with the regulators here? What we have done is uh, we actually took our white paper and translated it to Lithuanian. Well, maybe it's not, it wasn't necessary, but it was faster uh, that way. And then we asked whether it, uh, it complies with their uh, point of view. And after you know, submitting this white paper and attending a few meetings, we got this uh, written conclusion that, that according to the white paper and explanations during the meetings, our token can be recognized as utility and does not have to comply with any security regulations. So that, that was the green light uh, for us. 
Are you aware, again, just backing up uh, outside of Lithuania, are there, besides Switzerland, of course, if you're looking at Eastern Europe, have you heard of such a case being passed for other projects? Like, I wouldn't even know, to be honest, in Latvia, if one has been passed under this way or in Estonia. I think uh, Estonia is pretty proactive. Estonia was always better at branding and marketing itself. Sure. So Estonia has an influx of foreign projects, even Japanese go to to, uh, Estonia to do some ICOs. Other than that, the obvious, uh, you know, choices are Gibraltar, Switzerland and Singapore to conduct an ICO. But, you know, regulators, they're more or less um, starting to regulate uh, those jurisdictions more. And now there are some restrictions or uh, impediments uh, to start your ICO there. For example, a working token model, already working token model before you launch your ICO in Switzerland. Yeah, and, and similar ones. So Lithuania suddenly became one of the friendliest countries in Europe to, to conduct an ICO. And other than that, I, I hear only that Japan is going to release some kind of laws that would make it uh, favorable for Japanese ICO founders uh, to, to conduct ICOs there. So I, I see that regulators are trying to improve this environment for ICOs because they understand that it brings capital home and now it's a global competition for capital again. I hope that trend continues in a positive way. I can, uh, I can remember many years ago, I don't have the exact date, but it was definitely before Ethereum hype at all. I was mostly just about Bitcoin. The Bank of Lithuania made a very conservative statement on Bitcoin. It was basically like, you could lose your money, don't do it. You know, that's all we're saying. And they made this statement like many, many years ago. And uh, to see that turnaround, I've done some, some business down in Lithuania, but I don't know anybody from the Bank of Lithuania directly. I've heard some indirect things. But it sounds a very positive direction, at least from that side. And They are actually playing some good cop and bad cop in certain situations. In most of the situations, they have to play the bad cop. So anything that they release to public uh, openly is more of a bad cops uh, game. But uh, when, when in meetings with uh, ICO founders and other blockchain founders, you know, they're pretty good cop. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Well, we'll have to stay tuned to that. Uh, and then the last topic I wanted to ask you about also in sort of the same vein of ICOs and Ethereum and uh, the momentum of, of uh, projects these days. I know that you just came back from New York and Consensus. Uh, massive event this year, no doubt. People that you know, even have somewhat of a pulse in the crypto space, understood that it was massive, probably a lot of ICO hype there, 8,000 some people. Uh, what was your impression of the event? Wow, it, it, it was really massive. It was also probably one of the most expensive events I have ever been to. You know, I'm used to paying, you know, 100 euros at most. <laughs> and there it was, you know, one and a half thousand dollars or something similar, plus all the flights, etc. So some people have done a calculation of how much consensus it has earned or how much you know, cash it has burned. So I think consensus tickets and sponsorships is like you know, $12 million, plus you add all those parties and flights and tickets, and then it becomes $50 million. So this is a very expensive party, I would say, because you know, it, it was very difficult to follow speeches, you know, because... Uh, it's hard to justify sitting in a conference room and listening to somebody talking about something that you know uh, when you have paid so much to, to get there. So it, there, there's much more value actually meeting people whom you don't get to meet that often. And Consensus was a great meeting place, so everyone was there. But I think it was like at Coachella, the, you know, the tons of people, and it's hard to even uh, meet your friends uh, you know, for, for us, it was hard to meet our teammates at, at the conference. So it, it was very massive. It wasn't too productive. But, but it, I think to me, it has shown the amount of interest in the space right now. And it's pretty big. Although for the last couple of months, uh, you know, the public, uh, small, small contributors to ICOs, although those retail contributors to ICOs, 
have been on a slight decline because of the general crypto market decline. You know, the VCs and angels that um, invest into tokens, you know, to those uh, simple agreements for uh, future tokens, have actually increased a lot. And I think it's still increasing, maybe doubling every, every few months. And the terms at which they contribute to their capital became much more standardized and much more humane. You know, because when we were doing BitDegree uh, ICO in, in September, we have uh, tried to actually understand whether we need those large investors or not. And the conditions that were offered to us were really inhumane, asking for uh, immediate multipliers of 5x or, or, or more. And we thought that, you know, this is not the way to do it. You know, if those large investors are ripping off the retail contributors later on, this, this is really a bad model because, you know, those large investors are, are getting the returns, uh, you know, from, from the retail contributors. So in our ICO, we actually decided not to take any large investors and conduct only the public crowd sale with fair, uh, you know, bonuses to, to people that contributed um, a bit in advance and it's lesser bonuses that for people that contribute later. So, but right now it, it would be difficult to do the same crowd sale because the market sentiment is, is negative uh, or at least undecided, at least for now. So people are uh, rather choosing to get uh, their contributions from large investors. And there are plenty of large investors all you have to do is just travel those conferences and meet. So it, it essentially became something similar to investment bank type of fundraising rather than a crowd sale like Kickstarter. This episode of Crypto Voices is brought to you by HODL HODL, the cryptocurrency peer-to-peer -peer exchange that does not hold your funds. On HODL HODL, all trades happen directly between buyers and sellers of both Bitcoin and Litecoin out of or into any fiat currency of your choice, no middleman involved. Each time there's a trade, a contract is created between the buyer and seller where the exchange generates a unique multi-sig escrow address into which the crypto seller safely deposits the funds until all steps of the trade conclude. HODL HODL itself does not touch the funds nor have its own wallet interacting with your trade. HODL HODL is a cheap, fast, effective way to sell some fiat paper tickets and buy some sound crypto. And until July 2018, you'll be pleasantly greeted with 0% commissions and SegWit support. The exchange requires no verification and is truly global. So wherever you are, go to hodlhodl.com today, get some Bitcoin, get some Litecoin, and we wish the team at HODL HODL all the best and thank them for their support of Crypto Voices. I want to probably touch on a couple more questions regarding your ICO and the company uh, that was related to BitDegree and whatnot and your for-profit, not-for-profit model, et cetera. But I think we'll get into that throughout the discussion. But let's get back then concretely to, to BitDegree and what you're trying to do. So first question, and it'll be a bit of a long one because I still want to set the table here. So I am absolutely with you. Education needs to be disrupted. It's slow. It's expensive. At least in the U.S., it's extremely debt-ridden, uh, not tailored to the workplace. People come out with 50000 75000 100000 in debt. But I would say online education is also not new. Uh, in the U.S., you know, we have many different outlets. A uh, famous one would be the Khan Academy, you know, very interesting nonprofit crew from the founder basically making YouTube videos for his family to now having you know, tens of millions of students. Google has donated to them. Uh, the Gates Foundation is donated to them. You also have things like the University of Phoenix. The way that they market and uh, talk about their classes in the U.S., you always see them advertising. It's a, it's actually a for-profit parent company, uh, mostly online college. I think at their peak, they had something like 600,000 students. Uh, that has fallen, though, significantly in the last few years. And then you also have like the large established universities, not just in the U.S., but around the world, You know, Stanford, Harvard, MIT, They've gotten into the game of what is called MOOCs or massive open online courses. So we have all of this infrastructure already growing up on the web. People definitely see education is slow, needs to be disrupted. So my 
main question to kick this off about BitDegree is, why would we need to do any of this on a blockchain? Yeah, that's, that's a very good question. So looking at the current MOOCs or online education uh, industry and comparing it to the established education industry, it's still far less than 1% of, of the general education industry. Although it is growing year on year quite a, quite a lot, it's, it's not uh, there yet. And the biggest problem right now uh, with MOOCs is that the completion rates are abysmal low. You know, this is uh, similar to 3 to 4% completion rate. The problem is not actually in, in the content. The, the problem is in the uh, delivery of content, the, the form rather than, than you know, the, the knowledge, and actually in motivation. So why, why brick and mortar schools su survive? Because it's a social setting. You know, you come there, uh, you, you, you go there and you study with your classmates and probably you learn more how to be a, a good human rather than, to, you know, the exact subject. Mm -hmm. So online education lacks that and it lacks motivation. So we are trying, why, why blockchain, why, why we are trying to integrate blockchain is because we see that we can incentivize education in many ways through token incentive. So, first of all, uh, we are addressing the MOOC's uh, challenge of completion with, with introducing this token incentive, and we can introduce it you know, early in the course. We can actually pay people upfront, or in general, pay people to learn. So, when, when you get this uh, signal uh, that somebody values your learning, it's much easier to complete. And we can gamify the entire process. Like in, in computer games, uh, you usually raise your level, you get experience points. And why can't we have this in online education? And by introducing this token, we can actually do that. So in, in BitDegree platform, token actually aligns the incentives of learners, of educators, and also of employers or sponsors that want those learners to learn something. And we are focusing on digital, digital skills and blockchain skills. And there's a huge shortage right now of specialists uh, with those skills. So what, what we have found out is that actually it is feasible to pay students to learn because the, the demand and the cost of recruitment are so high that easily a student can receive a scholarship that is sizable enough uh, for him not to do any menial uh, work, uh, you know, for example, digging something some, or, or do, performing some kind, of, some kind of unskilled work. So we see that it is possible to create a social contract on blockchain that actually helps uh, you know, to incentivize education of skills that are demanded by the uh, labor market. Let's walk through that then. What is the basic structure of if I'm if I'm a student, if I'm a you know quote teacher? I understand that you're definitely starting on the tech and uh, software side of of learning. How does that work with regard to your token and with regard to the student and with regard to the teacher? Let's take an example. For example, um, in Latvia, you lack blockchain developers. Somebody would would develop uh, Solidity, something else. And there's a question, how do you create more blockchain developers at a scale? For example, you need 500 of them. And there is no way that uh, out of a sudden, some, somehow, those blockchain developers will appear. The only way you can do that is by creating your own uh, academy and inviting some developers to that academy and teaching them whatever you need them to, to learn. Instead, uh, what, what we offer is doing this online and sending an incentive, attaching an incentive to a course. Uh, let's say every the developer that finishes this blockchain course gets 1,000 euros through tokens. So he, get, he gets a lot of tokens. Suddenly, there is an incentive to spend evenings or, or days learning those skills because you know, somebody needs them and potentially getting a job and quite often a much better paying job. So that, that is one example of Latvia. We can also take an example of India. There are a lot of unskilled people 
that are performing tasks for like five bucks a day or five bucks an hour or you know and for them to stop performing those tasks it's it's very economically difficult because they will lose their income so instead if somebody pays for their upskilling they immediately can increase their charge rates and uh, generate much bigger economic uh, utility to the economy. So we are transforming uh, scholarships through incentives by the industry that, that needs some uh, specific skills, skilled uh, labor. How would it go though specifically? Like, Is there a certain semester length? Are the classes just automated on the blockchain or by, via like exercises? Who makes the classes, who marks them or grades them or judges them on if the student is proficient in passing them? How does that all work? Right now, we are building the platform. We have released the beta version. And now we are at the level where we can uh, host content of other creators. But at the same time, we are trying to innovate in terms of the course design. We are trying to understand what is the best type of a course. Is it a video-based course? Is it an interactive course? Is it a gamified social course? So uh, we are building the platform and different course types. And uh, right now, we are also creating our own content, so releasing our Solidity uh, courses and various programming language courses. But in the future, we want to enable anyone who wishes to teach to come to our platform and create their own courses and decide how much do we want to charge for that or enable corporations or charitable donors or anyone else to sponsor those courses in any geographic area so that um, you know, learners from that geographic area would be incentivized to take those courses. If you could sort of project what your ideal model would be for, let's say, the student versus teacher relationship, am I of the understanding that the goal is that essentially both parties stand to make some money on BitDegree? It's good towards learners earning, but also teachers earning um, enough. One big innovation that, that our token economy enables is self-regulation. So BitDegree in, in you know, a few years' time will not be just an online platform that you can pay with tokens or receive tokens for learning. Token will become, a, let's say, a self-regulatory unit of, of this platform because teachers will be able to put the price on their courses that they desire. Then employers will create incentives to create new courses that they need and students will be able to uh, choose from the courses that pay a lot or pay little, or maybe students pay themselves for, for the courses. So we need this token economy to regulate the platform. So it's a government's, uh, governance uh, tool for, for the platform. And this is, this is new for uh, this online education space because all, all of the online platforms uh, right now in the market they are one directional. There's a single company deciding how it should be, but instead we want to use the token economy to govern the platform. So in, in a few years' time, we expect anyone with the content to, to be able to contribute this content. We expect uh, the community to demand for the content and uh, crowdfund uh, the new content creation. And we also expect some, let's say, innovative course designers to design different course templates, you know, and get compensated. So BitDegree's role will be to align of all of those incentives so that this token economy works and, and grows. And all of the actors in this token economy will be incentivized through, through the token appreciation, hopefully. But I'm still not completely clear on how that would work for, say, the learners or the students. So can you just provide a couple of concrete examples? Like, would it have something to do with corporations that want someone, they would pay them an incentive to complete a course? Or is it from ratings from other students? How would students earn money by taking a course in BitDegree? Students will earn uh, tokens by completing courses that are sponsored by somebody. So there are many cases, for example, 
now we'll be launching one course for a customer service specialist that, that will be launched in a specific geographic area by, by a company that I cannot yet disclose. And anyone who finishes the course will get uh, paid something like 10 euros or more. And this course is not exactly difficult, but it actually enables the student to learn. In some more specific cases where the skill attained is more unique, like uh, becoming a blockchain developer, the student can earn much more. And it depends on the uh, incentive giver, uh, in this case, corporation. When the, there will be no incentives given to students, then they can earn uh, tokens by mentoring their colleagues, you know, fellow, fellow learners. So we are trying to inbuilt token and token, um, let's say, earning spending mechanism into all of the platform. If you looked at sort of the main channels of where the spenders would come or the people that are basically providing sort of the incentive, would that come from teachers or would it come from uh, companies, do you think? It would be something where companies might want to invest in, you know, uh, research and, and uh, education for, you know, a whole new staff of developers how important do you think that would be relative to teachers, like people that want to get on there and create their own courses? Is there any target mix, or are you just sort of going to have to see what the market decides on that? So right now we see a huge potential in corporations and governments because uh, corporations need a lot of talent, and they need to attract talent, and they need to teach talent certain skills before it uh, joins corporations. So this is a perfect tool also for global corporations and trying to recruit from many regions at once and have willing to have a unified quality standard. So that's, that's one. Or there are corporations that have unique products that need mass customer adoption or mass user adoption. And they need to educate those users about those products. And naturally, users don't really want to learn unless they're giving, given an incentive. So this is, uh, this is uh, how they can use Bidigree token incentive. And uh, lastly, we have governments that uh, are trying to solve uh, real problems. For example, there are 7 million ninis in Mexico. So ninis are uh, youth neither in employment nor in education. And nobody knows how to reach them and what to do with them. So through this uh, platform and incentives, Bidigri token incentives for, for Mexican youth, the government can, can achieve uh, its goals of social inclusion of, of those uh, 7 million ninis by educating them uh, skills that are demanded in the labor market and possibly the digital skills and even creating online employment opportunities for them. And we have spoken to uh, quite a few representatives from, from governmental institutions and they see how their current uh, policies of educating uh, youth are fitting into this. We are just providing a new medium for them to, to do that. And we are also, also a big innovation that we, that we are doing is this attaching simply a token incentive instead of you know, youth or, or any learner having to pay for education, we enable them to earn by learning and getting a powerful signal of, you know, where we could earn money afterwards. I was actually looking uh, before we spoke, I was looking at uh, student debt. Again, the U.S. market I'm most familiar with. In 2007, the mortgage-backed securities market, which was a basically primary driver in the financial crisis, that was about... $4.1 trillion. Uh, subprime debt was a subset of that, but $4.1 trillion in mortgage-backed securities. And that was about 30% of GDP, which was up well over three times 10 years prior. And then today, it's a, it's a standard story in the US, and I think about, you know, I just sort of wanted to refresh myself for this, this podcast. I saw that today the number in student debt in the US is is smaller than those uh, MBS numbers, but it's still pretty big. It's $1.5 trillion and it's 7.5% of GDP, which uh, as well was about 3x, three times larger than it was uh, 10 years ago, 3x or more. Uh, and then I, you know, I can just say anecdotally, I, I went to a fairly large state university, one of the largest universities actually in, in the US, um, in Ohio, the University of Cincinnati. And, and when I was there, 
we were actually paying for a lot of the what the students are enjoying now. But you know, I go back uh, home and and visit the campus and whatnot. And I mean, just physically, like from a real estate infrastructure perspective, it's it's night and day. I mean, the, the campus is completely transformed. It's unbelievable. The student housing, many more students living on campus, and it's beautiful. And lots of restaurants, bars, shops, whatnot. It's great for students. But I I, I always come at this from a financial and maybe conservative angle and. Someone's got to pay for that bill at some point. And, uh, you know, I don't know how much of that trillion and a half is subprime, but there is certainly some. And uh, some of these students will be saddled with debt that they'll never really be able to pay back. And that, that's not an easy thing uh, in the U.S. Uh, to get that debt relinquished. So that's a long, long-winded way of saying I am absolutely, totally in favor of education being more specialized, online, cheaper, cost-effective. I don't know if you have any other stories or thoughts on that from your from your perspective in Europe about the cost of education? If you think uh, in, in, in this way, education is the second most expensive thing after buying a, you know, real estate, you know, after buying a house, you know, then it, there's education and then there's your car, maybe some wedding expenses, <laughs> something similar. So education is so expensive, yet the knowledge is universally accessible to anyone with internet connection. So why is there a need to actually spend that much money on, on education? We are trying to challenge that. And especially for 1 billion people that are, can, can't yet access education, you know, this uh, cost is too tremendous. You know, if you want to include 1 billion people into current education system, we cannot do it. We have to find new ways. And we believe that through online education, with communities, we can do it. So that's that's why we took on this this mission. And and really, we do this because we 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 have a mission, you know, to educate those those people. We have like thirty million of them in our web hosting business, and you know, once we have established those courses, we got phenomenal feedback. You know, getting stories how people have lifted themselves from poverty, you know, by learning to build websites and providing you know, services online. And we want to keep on doing that. And through courses that actually pay you to learn and that can actually help you to quit your unskilled job and just focus for a few months to learn, you know, we can achieve this. So I'm just passionate about education. And I think that with current technology, we can actually solve most of the problems that it has. Of course, it requires a change of mindset, but we believe that through token incentives, we can achieve this. We can actually motivate people to learn online. And more importantly, we can devise you know, tools for the communities to support each other in this learning journey. So I wish that in the near future, that people would learn more and more online and get their personal ledger of educational achievements on blockchain and based on this we could actually you know understand how a person learns and uh, you know what what courses go easy for him or her and you know what what could be the path to their dream job and actually i hope that we could be able to offer that well i think the vision is uh, very noble to change the economics uh, of education you mentioned the web hosting company locally in Lithuania that's involved in the project. You're sort of bootstrapping from. You said there's 30 million users on there. Is that correct? Yeah, roughly 30 million. Okay. Uh, can you just explain how does that company relate then to BitDegree as a as a uh, token? The BitDegree token. What's their incentive? And is there another company at all that's connected to BitDegree? And how would they sort of fall into the economics of, uh, you know, the students and the, the teachers, if there's any relationship? So uh, this um, hostinger.com and 00webhost.com, so these are like, you know, parent and mother companies uh, for us because most of the team comes, comes from there. And, you know, these, uh, these companies were bootstrapped actually by, by the team locally here. So the team understood that they are doing a lot of education and therefore we have done a spin-off more or less uh, in, in terms of people just uh, launching a new project. And 
in terms of a real relationship between these companies and and uh, Bitdegree. So we have a partnership, and we hope to offer those uh, uh, web hosting users this opportunity to learn online. And actually, even right now, you can you know have your Bitdegree tokens. Uh, contributed towards your monthly bill uh, in this web hosting service provider. So the idea of the partnership is that you learn uh, to create websites, you know, or other di digital skills, and you can actually spend those those tokens on getting your website, you know, getting your website hosted in Hostinger. You mentioned before, though, that they were free, largest free service, but I presume you're just, when you say that BitDegree tokens could go towards a portion of the bill, I... Imagine there's some tiered service of some paid uh, hosting services and some not. Yeah, it's it's still the world's largest free of charge web hosting service provider, but you know, in order to sustain this free part, there's a need for premium quality paid services. So this is uh, how we can subsidize uh, the free part. Is there any other company that's associated then with Bitdegree, or is Bitdegree just a totally uh, Ethereum-based network? blockchain project. Is there any other company that has any other agreements with Bitdegree, the, the network project? There is a more or less the founding team that is, is doing the project. We have done a couple of partnerships for different uh, skills education, solidity development, cybersecurity and others. And uh, we see that we can uh, create a lot of uh, exciting courses through partnerships with uh, other tech companies. And just last question then on the on sort of this corporate umbrella. Then I'm looking at uh, ICOdrops.com. I see available for token sales 51 percent, uh, 660 million total tokens. So does that mean that 49 percent has gone to basically the team and the the company, the web hosting company? Not exactly. So yes, in doing the public crowd sale, we have uh, sold 51 percent of tokens to the community. But we have retained 10% for the team, but also we have 10% in the foundation and another 25 in the token scholarships pool. So as we grow, we want to actually provide token scholarships for many users to take uh, courses. So we see this, you know, like, like in universities, we have their own foundations that sustain those universities. So we have created a Bidegree Foundation and uh, it has this token pool that it can use to provide either scholarships or uh, doing some new developments. Okay, so that's another piece I wasn't uh, completely aware of. So that's, that's interesting. So the, the founders are locked up for two years, and just 10%. So we have the incentive to keep on going, and I believe that we have incentive to go far more beyond those two years. So if we look then at the vision of BitDegree from the foundation or from your web hosting partner or from uh, how you want you know, students and teachers or uh, mentors and, and learners to sort of interact together in this economy. I presume the vision is still 100% virtual or are you planning on, you know, if all goes well, you could start opening up some physical branches or, or something to that effect? So right now, actually, there is a business model that is similar to us uh, working offline. And, you know, you probably have seen many code academies or programming academies popping up all around the world. Those are physical locations that teach digital skills that are needed by the tech sector. So this is a great indication for us that there is a huge market need. And, you know, the growth of those academies is exponential right now. So instead of going the high-cost uh, offline route, we believe that uh, you know, we, we can provide the same quality of education and even better experience online at a fraction of the cost. So this, this is what we are doing. We do not really need to collaborate with those physical academies, but definitely we will pilot some projects together to see Maybe a blended model is better. You learn most of the time online, but you meet your, your group offline. And this is up for experimentation, and we are happy to do many experiments. The mid to long term vision of the actual content that is you know, administered, taught, learned on the program, is it 
for the foreseeable future, you think going to remain in this high demand sort of tech coding solidity or what have you, blockchain uh, based space, or do you see there could be some value in some other other subjects and topics as well? Right now, we have launched a better version of the platform. We have some, you know, digital digital skills related related courses. We have some blockchain skills related courses. Definitely, we're gonna work on those courses first. We are attaching the token incentive uh, very soon in the next week or two. And we are also launching the teachers area where anyone could, could be able to create their own courses. Initially, we will cap at digital skills and blockchain skills because we see this huge need and we can prove uh, our business model to be working. But later on, there is no reason to keep this uh, platform closed to digital skills and blockchain skills communities only. And, you know, we definitely can open it up for other skills and anyone who wants to create those courses. When you say things like opening it up as well, this is a question I had. Like, um, clearly all projects have to start out centralized to some degree and then you can relinquish control from the founders and, and let it be more organic or, or open free market. Bitcoin was centralized with Satoshi from the beginning and now it's quite, quite decentralized. But is there any plan for that where your core team that's, uh, I presume, paid by the foundation, is that always going to be the case where they'll be paid by uh, the BitDegree Foundation? Or do you ever see sort of some way to further decentralize uh, what you're doing? We definitely want to decentralize, but we understand that right now it is impossible to do that because we have to prove that the platform is working in order to have those instructors to come and create courses. Basically, we, we have to give a kickstart for the platform. And then we want to decentralize uh, the platform as much as possible so that BitDegree becomes a light moderator only, if necessary. I presume from the model that you're describing, you can have, you know, sometimes in universities, they're for-profit or not-for-profit, uh, private or public. There's sort of varying models across the world. Probably would be the same for you, right? I mean, you, your foundation would remain this not-for-profit entity that contributes to the network. You can have uh, your web hosting company, which is an early adopter that's a for-profit entity. Is there any sort of general thesis or vision on the private versus public or uh, for-profit versus not-for-profit mix? Long-term, we believe that foundation will be self-sustaining and uh, will be able to ensure longevity of this project. So, you know, looking at at, at other examples, and most notably at universities, uh, the foundations actually further the cause. So this is this is our hope for BitDegree Foundation. And what we have to make sure is that the proper governance is put in place so that there's not misappropriation by, by the founders or by any users. That's, that's how we can come back to the entire decentralization thinking. And as we are all big believers in Bitcoin and also other <laughs> projects, so we will find the best ways to, to decentralize the governance in the future. I am uh, getting towards the end of my questions. Danielis, is there any, any other uh, things that you'd like to point out regarding your current status at BitDegree, what you guys are trying to do? Yeah, so regarding BitDegree, I, I would like to invite everyone to go to bitdegree.org and check out some of the courses. In a few weeks, we'll have a token incentive ready, so it will be fun to actually earn by learning. And uh, I would also welcome all the other blockchain projects to collaborate with us to create educational content, because we also see, understand Bidegree's mission as uh, the knowledge hub for the uh, blockchain and crypto communities, so that uh, we can educate the users on uh, our platform and also create content with those other projects and incentivize their communities to, to learn and also the broader, the entire world to basically come and learn what is blockchain, what is crypto. And we are improving our positions in, in, in this space quite rapidly, meaning uh, having more and more traffic into our website uh, of first-time uh, users uh, learning about Bitcoin, learning about Ethereum network and others. So this is my, my one uh, wish. And secondly, um, on June 14th to 17th, 
we are holding a forum in Vilnius, Lithuania called Block Forum, which is actually the full name is Startup Europe Blockchain Forum. We will gather the leaders of, of the region in crypto space and also regulators and quite a few ICOs to discuss how actually handle this uh, mass adoption of uh, ICOs and blockchain technology in, in Europe and especially in our region once the uh, regulators are so friendly. So I welcome everyone to check blockforum.eu to get to know more about the conference. Great. And bitdegree.org, any other links that our listeners can go to? I think bitdegree.org is the best link and all the other links will be there. Well, Danielus, I tell you, it's certainly interesting from my perspective. I know that I said at the beginning of the show, uh, obviously listeners know Fernando and I are very, <laughs> extremely cautious uh, about ICOs. I am cautiously optimistic in some projects, uh, really having some use cases and making a dent. Uh, but, you know, caveat emptor. And I think more importantly, uh, in principle, uh, I hope that our listeners can take away, there certainly are plenty of geographic locales where not only the entrepreneurs, uh, the startups, the uh, investors, but even the regulators are taking a hard look at how this can improve their individual economies. And I think that Lithuania is in an interesting uh, position uh, that you don't always hear about, as you mentioned, you know, Switzerland, Gibraltar, Singapore, these are sort of the typical ones. And of course, with your project and education uh, in general, could not agree with you more that it needs to be disrupted, it needs to be streamlined, uh, the debt needs to be lowered, and you know, the skills and the tools that students need for the real world should be, uh, should be focused. So if that can be done with a positive economic uh, incentive structure, then I think it would be a fantastic achievement. So wish you guys all the best with what you're doing. It was a pleasure speaking with you and hope to speak with you again in the future about your progress. Thank you for the opportunity and uh, for the conversation. It was really fun.